And welcome to episode 178 of the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. I am Jim, and I'm going to be talking about X-Books. This is actually an X-Men catch-up episode where I'm going to talk about three books, but we'll get into those in just a bit. I will right now tell you where you can find us all around. You can go to Twitter at WSMarvelComics, where if you follow us, we follow you back. Well, you can also go to the website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com, where you can read all of the written reviews for this week's books. And we have the reviews for all of these books that came out this week. And I'll tell you, they were Amazing Spider-Man number 43, Avengers number 33, Marauders number 10, Star Wars Dr. Aphra number 1, and Venom number 25. Now, me and Brandon will be talking about Avengers number 33 and Venom number 25 on our Tuesday show. This past week, we ended up having some problems recording, and it ended up being only the World War Hulk issue. I like to try to put some newer stuff in as well. That is not something that was planned. So if you did go to listen, you're like, they're only talking about World War Hulk. What the heck? That was because... We had mucho problemos, and so this next week it'll be a little more current deal, and as we get more and more books, we'll be talking more and more books, and then when I get done catching up on the X books, we'll even have more on the Spotlight episode, so you can get more dosage of your new comics. Now, I just mentioned the website, but as you're listening, you're aware we have a podcast, right? Well, if you want to support us for all that we do with the podcast, with the website, also, if you are listening to the DC stuff, go to the site. We try to do a lot of stuff. We also have a Patreon so that you can give us a little inspiration. And that's what it it kind of is. I'm not going to tell you that it's keeping the lights on, though. I will not lie. It's helping during this whole shutdown. I lost my job, so I'm just sitting here. So you end up having that. But it does keep me at least inspired to keep doing things on even the regular feeds, the free feeds that you're listening to this on. But we have a ton of shows on the Patreon. If you need more weird science, you go to the Patreon and we have at least an episode a day of some sort of exclusive comic book thing mainly, but some non-comic book stuff as well. But just to show you in the last two days, what we have had on the Patreon Marvel wise are we had the Marvel comics, Patreon spotlight, which is an exclusive spotlight that features two books, usually two new books, but because not a lot are coming out, I don't want all of the books to be on the Patreon. I want some to be remaining for the regular shows. So we ended up doing Amazing Spider-Man number 43, a GOG issue that was that I liked as a GOG issue. I got some feels, but as a Amazing Spider-Man issue with what's going on in Nick Spencer's run, he has bigger fish to fry, right? There's a little deal there. Also, Darth Vader number three, the Karen Gillan run of Darth Vader. 
Uh, and that was the issue from 2015. That was the first appearance of Dr. Afra, who I was not aware. Nobody told me that Dr. Afra was indeed the Indiana Jones of the Star Wars universe. And as a Star Wars fan, which I do say to a lot, I mention a lot on this podcast. I mention a lot on the DC podcast. I am equally and oftentimes more of an Indiana Jones fan. So having those two combine, it's like two great tastes that go great together, right? And I think so, and I really did enjoy that. So if you want to listen to that, you go to the Patreon. We also ended up doing our Marvel August 2020 Solicits podcast, where I just go through the solicits. We talk about things. I give you my hopes and dreams. And stuff like that, right? Sassy. <laughs> Sassy. I ended up doing that, and that's fun enough. I have fun doing that. And also, Brandon ended up having his show, Why Though, is the show. It's the second episode, and he featured Marvel Knights Punisher numbers 16 and 17. And if you don't know about those or aren't aware, those indeed are the issues that Wolverine ends up getting run over by a steamroller from the Punisher after he kind of shoots his face. And it's junk. <laughs> I mean, it's Sassy. junk. That is sassy. But yeah, if you want to do that, that's inspiration deal. You get a lot in return. I just ask that people go and check it out. Patreon.com slash weird science. But we're going to jump into the issues. And I said I wasn't going to mention the issues names yet. I think that you'd be able to see them in the show deal. But hey, the first one's going to be Fallen Angels. And I think that in general, before I jump into this particular book, I think that in general, I think that people are going to start to see maybe the real me. The real me deep inside. I'm like the guy who's there in high school, and I don't talk to anybody, but boy, I know those ladies would love me if they just get to know me, and then they get to know me and hate me. So I was wrong. I was wrong all along, and that's really the the moral of the story. But with this whole deal going through these X-Books, if you've been listening, I think that mainly you'd say, boy, that Jim is pretty positive with these X-Books, you know, after not even dealing with them and now having to catch up. Because he's a moron. Uh The thing is, though, going into these, I'm getting into, and this Fallen Angels is number three. Then we're going to hit the number fours. I'm starting to find my footing. I'm starting to be a little familiar with the space. I'm starting to get some concepts. And unfortunately, that also means that I'm starting to see some of these books ain't so great. And where before, not faking the funk, but the idea that, I was a little timid. Maybe I'm not getting this all. Maybe I'm missing something big that if I end up saying, oh, man, this book stinks because of this, that and the other thing. I'm not I'm not getting the whole deal. I'm I'm not. Now I think I'm getting it now. I, I still may not. And people can and will end up telling me when I do get something wrong or maybe I'm not seeing something that a longtime X-Men fan can enjoy more than I would. But. As a Dawn of X fan now, I am starting to get a little more comfortable. And comfort for me always leads to anger. It's like the dark side. I mean, really, comfort leads to pain. Pain leads to anger. Anger leads to me losing my mind and yelling on a podcast. That that is the Sith version of podcasting. But I do think that that's coming into play. And I say that because I do think this will be the most negative episode that we've had in these catch-up deals because I'm going to be dealing with two books, one being Fallen Angels, that I've kind of gotten a little tired of and I'm starting to, you know, get a little angered about. Now, this Fallen Angels book, I'll give you the credits. First, it came out on December 11th, just so you know. 
It's written by Brian Edward Hill. Pencils by Simon Kadransky. Inks by Simon Kadransky. Colors by Frank Darmada. Letters by Joe Sabino. And I'm going to read the recap quick. And then I, I just want to tell you something. I'm a little behind the scenes, a little bit. Language of conflict. Mutants around the world are flocking to the island nation of Krakoa for safety, security, and to be seen. Psylocke, Cable, and X-23 are hunting a mysterious new enemy, Apoth, somehow connected to a dangerous new cyber drug called Overclock, while searching a seemingly abandoned Overclock factory in Brazil, Psylocke and her warriors are ambushed. I did like that ending last issue i like the cliffhanger mainly because most of the action in this book and i'm talking slicing and dicing has taken place as flashbacks in the past i want laura slicing and dicing i want to see some psylocke powers you know not just quan and stuff i need to see psylocke deal and i like kid cable these three are kick butt characters i want to see them work as a team unfortunately end up not being a team very quick but the behind the scenes deal is I ended up at one point talking to Brian Hill, mainly about his DC book, Batman and the Outsiders, talking about the idea that he came over to comics as a writer of TV, movies, things like that. A different pacings involved there. He readily admitted that the pacing on comic books is something that he was not, not just struggling with, I'm not going to say it, but working on. He realized that that might have been something that he needed to work on, and I think that you were seeing it in the first two issues of this Fallen Angels, where most of the time with our characters, they're standing around the Burning Man on Krakoa, you know, being upset that they're not feeling the feelings everybody else is feeling. And I say that quick, but so when you get to this, the the you know promise of action, cool, I, I'm ready for that. But another thing that he told me about this book in particular was that it was always going to be a mini series. So I know that reading, and I knew this going into doing this because I'm doing a catch-up. It's already said and done. We're already done with it. That What he told me was indeed true. He, he ended up saying that Marvel did not want him to announce it as a mini. They were not going to announce it as a mini because they were afraid that people would just avoid it. Okay, that doesn't mean much. Let's avoid that. There's a lot of X-Books, and it's a lot of money to shell out for these you would, if you had to pick a book, I think that you would, you know, kick the mini series off before the rest. He said that this book was to set up the new version, or not the new version, but the new status quo of Psylocke. You're getting some cool characters that I love with it. But I think that while it was originally coming out and getting reviewed and people were, it is paced more as a miniseries. So if you knew that it was just a six issue deal, it, it is paced that way. It's not paced as a book to me that's going to last 50 issues. You're being very particular with certain things. You're, you're taking a little longer to reveal stuff. The mystery of Apoth is being drawn out a little more because I think that because it's a mini, the big reveal, the big stuff with Apoth cannot happen quick you know in this because we still have issues to go so it is being paced that way and unfortunately when it came out people weren't aware of that nobody was and so without that knowledge you think boy the pacing's off the, it's not a book that's giving me enough things like that now i still think that people would have still said that same thing knowing but it, it makes a little more sense in my mind this issue though it has a lot of problems. This is an issue where my fallen angels 
half love is now half gone uh, because the idea of Laura in this, uh, I hate the way that she's portrayed. She's portrayed as somebody who pretty much doesn't have any idea how to fight and is just let loose as like a, just a, a force of nature. But the idea that she doesn't know in a battle not to take her eye off of the prize there or the enemy, that seemed weird. But also just she's just there as just a sounding board for Psylocke to ramble on about the same old thing about I don't have my own name. I I feel like I don't belong in Krakoa. The idea of this whole setup with Laura, which is why I was intrigued and why I was, you know, digging it was Laura's problem being Logan's back. She's on Krakoa where it's, you know, peace and love, peace and love. And she is the second best Wolverine. So any sort of issues that need a Wolverine, nobody's thinking Laura. They're thinking Logan. And in her mind, I would say that when they do come to her and say, oh, yeah, we need, you know, your Wolverine stuff. Oh, what, Logan's not available? Yeah, that's why. And and she doesn't like that. And also she has anger. She doesn't like the Burning Man. She wants to go. Kid Cable, same deal. He doesn't feel like he's there. I wish it was more into the idea. Now, we've gotten past. The idea in his book and the things that we have dealt with, it's something that was really pushed and pushed a little too long. The idea that he killed his older self and people didn't trust him, things like that. Well, you're you're on Krakoa with a lot of mutants that haven't been around for a while, a lot of mutants who haven't mingled. And now they're mingling. I think that this might have been better served to have that point come up again. Use the fact that it was overdone before for Kid Cable to say, I thought we were over this, and I'm really, really sick of it. I need to get going. Now, his whole deal, like I said, Laura's the sounding board to Psylocke. Kid Cable, to me in this, is only there for, at least at the beginning, for the I've got info. Uh, my, you know, I have my my people around. I have my contacts. So they're kind of Laura and Kid Cable there, Nathan, end up to me, they feel more like props. They feel more like just guest stars that and they are but they show up to mutter that line so that the main character can jump in you know hey where is that go well you want to know that stuff like that so it it came off weird to me and this issue it kind of plays out also i had mentioned before not a simon kadransky fan though i thought that the first two issues of this series he actually impressed me more than i thought he ever could i liked the art enough I think that the black and purple color palette, which I said at one point does separate it from a lot of these books, it's starting to get to me. It's making it just seem like plus with that, and I'm saying just the colors there and the idea that a lot of the things are just being recycled over and over. The whole idea I already mentioned, the, hey, I don't have a name. All right, we get it. Let's go. And it just makes things start to drag. You do get a bit of intriguing thing at the beginning, though, about Apoth, where he is giving the narration as you're seeing a scene with a gun, a baby, you know, these sort of things leading into the whole team fighting the War of the Worlds robot. And it's, I am Apoth, I am God. God made by man to make men as God. And again, that is a common theme that we're getting, especially in this round of books, the idea of Men not just sitting back and saying, oh, you know, those mutants, those homo superiors. Oh, man, I wish I was them. No, they're trying to do their thing. They're trying to kind of 
evolve in a technical way, evolve in a faking the funk kind of way that isn't just mutations, but their own version of, you know, tech, things like that. But then it says, I am so lonely, so lonely. Perhaps that is why I keep leading her to me. Psylocke, you are the mother of God. Soon I will tell you how you created me. Soon you will serve your child. That's intriguing. That really is. That actually, to me, steps up the Apoth game in the point where, okay, I want to see what's going on. This makes it personal, very personal. This isn't just, oh, I had a dream, which, again, we mention again later on this, one of the points that keeps going. And so, yeah, that makes me think, oh, my, this, this is bigger. And it is a cool little narration going there. Well, they are fighting this robot and i say they and of course i mean kid cable laura and psylocke well i like and wanted to see the team fight something see some little coordination there and kid cable gets slapped away to what appears to be five area codes away this is so far that laura just says after i think i can track him he ends up getting hit who knows what the heck happens here but he's gone And he ends up, and again, if you're going to tell me that he went through a portal, if you're going to, I don't know, because this is where I had problems with the art, especially is the close up angles, especially of the fight. You have a what could be a great cinematic fight. And instead, everybody wants their Cecil B. DeMille close up here. They're, They're all ready for it. Kid Cable gets hit. And at one point, you have a panel. That is just the the arm of the robot, but not even any, at least show the claw all the time. It's just the arm around sping, ping, ding, which I, again, is that telling me he, he teleported? I don't know. There are things in this book where you, you just sit to yourself and say, why are we getting a full panel of, of Laura's boots? That's one of them. Also, when the heck? Did Kid Cable become Justin Bieber with a scar? At one point, oh, there's the Biebs going on. And then later, you have Psylocke, who looks like a, a marionette. I'm a real boy, which would be odd because she wouldn't say that. She's not a boy. But it, everything, it's like Pinocchio look. Everybody looks fake. But when Simon Kodransky actually draws the robot, and then at the end, the the big reveal, not reveal, but the big cliffhanger of what ends up happening to Cable, this monstrosity, awesome. But the individual, they're starting to look like too computer modeled. Everything's too smooth. Everything's going on. And again, you have a fight where you do have Kid Cable get knocked way off. This ends up almost getting Laura and Psylocke shot by the robot because what Psylocke explains, Laura, you can't keep your attention away from the enemy. And in that, you have Laura like in the thinker post, like, huh, I wouldn't have known that. I've never fought before. Thank you. Thank you for telling me this, Captain Obvious. And I got angry as a Laura fan of she's done some things. I, I think that one, you know, a thing of looking at the enemy That's something that most people, you tie it into a part where you say, listen, Kid Cable is a teammate, but you have to allow him to get it himself. you got to allow him to be able to handle himself and trust that he can handle himself, that you don't worry about him in the middle of battle or you'll get killed. There's a lesson. And there's a lesson I still think Laura would know, but 
it's it could tie more into the whole deal of the anger, things like that of Kinda. But then it just leads to her saying, you know, j- just end up remembering, uh, uh, you know, your anger and don't repress it and, and push it towards that enemy. Again, I don't think Laura needs this. You really want to, you know, get Laura pissed off, lie to her and say, by the way, I heard that that their robot there, it was making clone sisters of you and killing them. Go get it. And she would go nuts. But she goes nuts anyway. We do see a close up of her boots, I guess, to show that she's kicking up the dirt. And then she attacks. But the attack, which could be awesome because it starts awesome, pops the claws there, both arms up with the robot and the distance between those looks great. She then attacks and you get so close up. You have one panel that's just the robot arm. Then you have her jump. She's on something. She's breaking things. You you never really get the idea of the scope of her destruction, even though that's what it seems to want to play out. Until the end, but even then, you're so close up, and then Laura ends up just slice, dice, boom, boom. She's about to just put this thing out of its misery by, you know, inserting claws in head, and she gets stopped by Psylocke. Psylocke blades it up, boom, stops the claws. I thought it was a high five. I thought this this was the Fallen Angels version of a military in-battle high five. Weapons up, they'd yell. It wasn't. What ends up this being is that there's a kid right there that Laura's about to kill. Now, if you want to tell me that Laura's in full berserker mode, spell that out a little better. Because I don't think that Laura would look at this little kid in a fetal position and be so out of her mind at this point that she is going to kill a little boy. And a little boy who's basically in the fetal position saying, please don't kill me. And so Psylocke comes, hey, he's speaking Portuguese. Uh, you know, wh- what's going on? Can you translate? Now, this bothers me a bit. And, and this is just a little tiny thing. How does she know he's talking Portuguese if she does not speak Portuguese? Maybe she's heard the accent. But to me, if I hear somebody talk, I don't understand what he's saying. Do you understand? Oh, yeah, it's Portuguese. Here you go. It's just a little thing, but it bothered me. And so, yeah. And then what you're just getting then is a bunch of panels with this kid talking Portuguese just so Laura can then talk the, the English to Psylocke, who then, hey, yeah, And basically, you end up with Psylocke. Okay, well, that's bad. You know, we're not going to kill you, but I need to find out where these kids are. I need to find this out. And instead of him telling her, she just reads his mind. Why, why didn't you just do that at first? And also, I, it just, it, it's a weird play out of a scene. And then when you do have the thing, they're going to save these kids. Unfortunately, this kid is involved in this robot deal. It's not his doing Apoth. All this is making him do that. He was at the overclock factory. All that stuff is the idea of my mind that then, you just have off panel, the kid dies, and Psylocke comes to Laura. Hey, um, by the way, Laura, that kid, yeah, he's dead. And But it wasn't our fault. I'd like to say that the stress of the mind reading ended up killing him, and you end up having Psylocke. She's trying to cover her tracks. She don't need this. I don't know if you realize, but Krakoa does have the don't kill man policy, and then really would really have the don't kill boy policy. So yeah, I think she's covering her tracks. Well, we go to see what happened to Kid Cable. I don't, is he is he now 
you know, in Texas? Did he get knocked that far out? Because he's way off and he's hanging on vines. He comes down, immediately ends up getting approached by what looks to be a crazy entity. Is this Apoth at this point? Are we seeing a vision? Who knows? This is going to end up being Nathan. You know, it's a station. You end up going and he ends up getting hit in the back with what may be a just a tranquilizer. It may be a controller disc. It may be whatever. I don't know. It's hard to see. And also you're, again, very close up on the scene at points showing, you know, weird things here, you, you know, eyes and things. So you go, though, and it, as he is passing out, you have this thing say, Apoth is the water for those lost in the desert. He is the pain, uh, end of pain and war and individuality. Behold the peace of the one mind. Let its, clean, let its light cleanse you. So to me, this shows that that is more than just a tranquilizer dart. It is doing something, a mind control type deal. Or a techno thing that can be, you know, used with a cable. That's why it would be there. And it's kind of connecting them to, you know, the cloud, the Apoth cloud. We'll see. You don't really see in this issue. You just know that he kind of gets knocked out. Well, you end up then having Psylocke talk about, we got to get to these kids. I see where they are. By the way, this, this boy, he died. But, you know, let's find out. Where Cable went This is Laura's deal Then Laura says I can track him I can find out where he is And you just have this You know Pretty much Just talking here No 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 Kid Cable He he would want us to Continue on To save the kids Yeah but We can get him real quick You know I can do this He couldn't go No 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 He would want Us to go get We gotta go quick too Because Apoth knows what's going on. Apoth is going to end up causing a lot of it. we got to get these kids. Kid Cable can take care of himself. These children need us now. And that's when, hey, and uh, by the way, the kid's dead. Oh, my. That stinks. Uh, Yeah, that's terrible. But, you know, Psylocke wants to let us know, get this. I'm angry. I had a vision of Apoth, and I don't have my own name. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if you've heard this. But I don't have a place on Krakoa in my mind. Uh, Maybe it's because she suddenly looks a lot like Christina Ricci. Maybe that's why. They think it's her. But, yeah, you're going to go off and, you know, we're going to have to finish this fight. And so they're like, okay, where did we take – where did they take the kids? North. Then we go north. And you have Laura just with all this. No, we got to get Cable. No, no, no. He'd want us to – Find the kids. No, no, no. I, I will get. Ca- no, no. He wants us to find the kids. And then where are they? North- All right, let's go. <laughs> I'm sick of complaining and arguing. Let's go. Well, you do see that maybe Cable does need a little help where he is attached to something. I don't get what it is. I don't know that we're necessarily supposed to know what it is yet. Looks like some sort of wheel of torture. We'll find out later. But you end up having somebody off panel talk to him. And, and at first you would think, okay, we're going to see APOT. This is it. But it's clarity is coming, I promise. You'll know your part in this, Nathan. I am not Apoth, but I serve him. All right. You are machine man mutant. The word for that is unity, and unity is all we want. And it is a techno-skeletor. One of the things that's intriguing, it has an eye very similar to Cable, but it's a monstrosity. It really is. Has some jewelry, though. Got some bling going. And, you know, when you are a techno skeleton with claws possibly not even a lower jaw 
you do want to bedazzle things up a little so that you can go out to the club still. And then that's what we're all really about. They say we're all about unity. I know we're all about the clubs, right? Ask 50 Cent, he'll tell you. And so, yeah, you end up the end of technology, end of mutants, end of humanity, the end of difference itself. So you're getting this with that before. Apoth, obviously a one mind, not even just a hive mind, but a one mind type deal. That's a very, you know, philosophical thing of a lot of religions where when you end up going, you don't have your individuality again. You become one with the universe, one with the grand spirit of things, whichever thing you, you believe in, things like that. And and to me, I don't like that concept at all because really you, you go through life to get to this afterlife. Being an individual, trying to, I don't know, maybe it would be great. You, you Supposedly, you know everything ever, you, your knowledge, eh, but you don't really, you know, where's the chicken and the egg when you're going to, I want to find out all the knowledge as my sexy self in the afterlife so that then I can go as a ghost and then argue with people on Twitter because I know all the answers and I will be able to shame them. That's all I'm about, really. And that's what I want from the afterlife. But you end this here, and yeah, it's just the pacing's off. It seems like a drag to get through. Scenes extend a little too far. Panels that are weird just are there. It's hard to see the action. So overall, probably my least favorite issue of all of the X books that I've been doing so far, and I'm giving it a 4 out of 10, and I think I'm being a little generous, and you may you, you may get mad at me for that, but yeah, I think I am being a little generous. But I I do like some of the you know exposition. I, I always like seeing these characters, but I'm not going to fall into that trap of loving Laura. So I have to say this is good because Laura's in it. I'm not going to do that end cable. So we'll go with. That, but I'm going to go on to the next book. And this is Marauders number four, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Lucas Wernick, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. And I like the Marauders book, was one of my favorites when it started. Now we're at issue four, and it's become more about the politics and the inner machinations of the Hellfire Trading Company. The last issue was about Sebastian bringing back his son, the whole idea of trying to get his play to control the hellfire deal. And it was fine. I I didn't mind it, but I want to get back to what we started this book about. And you even have it in the recap here where I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. The hellfire training company is responsible for distributing, distributing, distributing Krakoa's pharmaceuticals to friendly nations and smuggling mutants out of the unfriendly ones, conducting the organization's duties across the high seas or captain Kate pride and her crew aboard their vessel, the Marauder. And you are going to end up getting a little mentions of the Hellfire Company. We're going to continue where you have Kate, the Red Queen, wants to make Bishop the Red Bishop. So she'll keep getting into him about that. He does not seem interested, even though he likes Kate, but he doesn't want to get involved in that stuff. She needs somebody she can trust. She doesn't trust even Emma, who got her in there. Emma's just doing it for her own deal. So Kate needs somebody she can trust, and Bishop is that guy there. He he doesn't want to have any parts of it. But in this, like I said, I've been wanting to get back to the team, the Marauders team, the whole idea of them going and saving mutants, or at least rescuing them and allowing them to go to Krakoa. And I think that Jerry Dugan 
is aware of that. Maybe somebody told him. Maybe editorial's like, hey, you got to get to this. And it, it is funny. A lot of times you'll have an edict from editorial on certain books. It has been known now. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis said that on the Superman books when you you have to have Superman in the suit, at least, you know, on a page. He has to show up as Superman during an issue. And so Brian Michael Bendis has even played his games of, you know, Superman shows up for two seconds and then he's gone, things like that. Well, I would like to see more of the Marauders saving or rescuing, allowing some mutants that aren't allowed to go to Krakoa, getting them to be able to go. And that's how we start where you end up having these kids that they're mutants and they want to get to Krakoa. They're trying to escape from what would I'd appear to, to be a paramilitary camp or something like this. And they are, they're searched down by a guy named Paragon in his, you know, his camouflage, his camos. He shows up and says, hey, traitors, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to Krakoa. You're a part of our state. You're going to serve them or you'll be executed. And the Marauders show up there in a scene that is kind of like Iron Man showing up in Avengers to shoot the throw by ACDC. But here you have Pyro, who's in charge of the playlist as they come in. Now, you end up having any way you want it by Journey. That's fine. I would have rather Pyro went with, you know, his down under roots and went a little in excess, maybe new sensation. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? One of my favorites. Uh, and they come in. And the thing is, I say that it's very reminiscent of Iron Man. To me, it's more of a Job from Arrested Development when he's doing his illusions and has the final countdown going. Because even at a point, Pyro is just shooting flames around with Lockheed fueling them in the back. Hey, he's laughing it up and it's pretty funny. Well, that's where you end up having this Paragon. He's not going to let this go down. Storm, though, has different ideas. Storm shows up and says, yeah, I'm taking these kids. They are allowed safe passage to Krakow if they want it. And you're not going to stop me from allowing that. He's like, what, what do you think you're going to do? She hits him with lightning. And then he says, oh, that's all you got? And she's like, no, no, that that's just the kind of where I'm gauging. The real, but oh, here it comes, ba-boom. And it hits him like an atomic bomb. I mean, it, seriously, if Rick Jones was anywhere around there, you'd have to shove him into a trench to avoid the, the rays here. Because that's what it looks like. And you end up, he doesn't die, though. He's there moaning and groaning, so this might play out as we go on more towards the humans versus X-Men deal that we always get. So we'll see. But you do end up having the kids on the Marauder ship. They have the portal there. They're going to go through to Krakoa. And you do have Bobby, Iceman. I like this little deal where he says to the kids, hey, listen, when you go through, you're going to hear this little thing in your head, but it's it's teaching you Krakoan, so don't get don't get upset. But I'll, I'll check you out later. And so they're they're having this going on. And that's, you know, a nice cold open type deal to see the Marauders doing Marauder stuff. Well, we're then going to switch over to just Kate and Bishop. And it's a continuation of the thing that started out Bishop in all of this Hickman X-Men stuff where he was in Taipei, where a lady was announcing to the world, listen, my husband, he went up to the, the gateway and he, he touched and he disappeared, but uh, he's not a mutant and I don't know where he went and all this stuff. And you ended up even having Bishop at that point saying to this woman, Chen, uh, yeah, we don't have any record of him ever getting to Krakoa. Something smells fishy here. And Bishop even said to Xavier, 
yeah, I think that there's something going on. Well, they've done some research behind the scenes since then and realized the house, the pretty much huge mansion type, you know, thing that somewhere in this, there is a void in the floor plan. They can't end up sensing anything of this part. And they do think that this would be something that either her husband, who supposedly disappeared, is there or he's dead. And this is where they're hiding him. All this stuff going on. Uh, but Lim, Lim Zhou or Zhao, the husband, we think that this might be something with that now. Kate thinks, I don't want to go into some place here where I'm going to find a dead body or skeletons, but I'll go with you, as she keeps trying to recruit Bishop to become the Red Bishop. Well, they end up going, and I like the dialogue between these two. It's really good. And you end up having some cool scenes where they do parachute in, and when they do parachute into this mansion-type deal, they end up with Kate phasing through the roof with Bishop behind her with the parachute, And then when they get kind of into the roof, they're out into the the building below, into the room below. But they stop it so that they're kind of hanging there so they don't crash into the floor. They're hanging there with the parachute half phased in, half phased out. So it stops. They get out. And there's a funny line where Bishop is led to believe that this is something that Wolverine and Kate, they've done a bunch of times. And Kate... No, no, you, you got me wrong. I said that I told Wolverine about this. He said it would never work. I'm crazy. Oh, no. So you go in, you see that Chen Zhao, Lim's wife, they are billionaires. They have tons of money. They end up, it's one of those like almost like a social commentary deal of the rich. She ends up, Kate finds a tusk, a ivory, full ivory tusk. And like this real ivory, oh man, I'm going to face this in the wall so they can't have that anymore. And plus, I'd like to punch her right in the face for dealing with ivory. This is nonsense. But they're there for a particular job to find this void space and figure out. And of course, that would be a great thing for Kate Pride, Kitty Pride to do. She ends up holding Bishop's hand again, saying, hey, you, you should become the Red Bishop. But they go in, phase through, and they do find what seems to be more like a, a panic room where they go in. Now, the weird thing is, is there is a door there. It's almost like they phase through all through all this stuff and then realize, oh, there's a screen door open there. We could have just went. But they end up finding this guy. They find Lim. They realize, and this is a, a kind of a twist that I did like, where they find him. He's in La La Land a bit. He's a little off. And you end up having Bishop recognize this and says to Kate, this is one of the Order of X. This is one of those cults that are worshiping us mutants. And what do you mean, worshiping? Like, well, what's that? Like something in Mojoverse? And he's like, no, no, listen. When Xavier set out the plan, he did get in everybody's minds. Some humans, it, it didn't react well. They ended up thinking more of it. They ended up getting a little wacky because it's so this whole deal. This is Charles fault for doing this. And I like that play there of, yeah, this is a problem. It's a problem so much that Lim going, you know, nuts about the mutants suddenly and want to be worshiping them as his gods. His wife, Chen, not very pleased, not very pleased about this at all has to get rid of him because I think that she's more worried about, you know, he's going to start donating money. He's going to do this, that. He'll want to get rid of it. So she ends up just pretending that somehow the mutants kidnapped them, something with the gateways went wrong, and that 
is used then to fuel even more anti-mutant hate. While this is going on, Chen is giving a speech at an anti-mutant rally. And her big point is, my husband, my poor husband, he disappeared. Well, we see that's not true. They, she's just mad that he worships mutants now, and she needed to get rid of him. Well, you do see I mentioned there was a door. The door does open, and you end up having Lim going, okay, it's fine. My gods have come. Because he even says, I prayed, and you came. Oh, my God. It's Shadow Cat and Bishop. He's very familiar with the gods that he loves now. And when this door opens, you have Lim. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, They're fine. I order you to. And then he gets kicked. And what you end up is two very techno looking Lady Deathstrike wannabes. You even have Kate say, whoa, did Lady Deathstrike start a maid service? And they start fighting again as they're fighting. It it ends up and it's kind of funny back and forth. Kate still keeps trying to recruit Bishop with all this. She gets her nose broken again, which pisses her off. But yeah, they end up stopping these two getting Lim and saying, all right, Lim, you're come with us. We're going to go talk to your wife at this rally. And he's like, oh, she's going to be so mad. And when they do go, she is giving her hate speech. Yeah, these mutants, my husband. You mean this guy, Lim, your husband here? Because they've shown up. What? What? What's this? Yeah, it looks like you just got pissed because your husband, he loves the mutants and he's worshiping them. So you have to make him disappear and then use that to, to throw hate and shade at the mutants. You're nonsense. Let's get out of here. And you have Kate and Bishop then skedaddle out. Again, keep talking about the whole Red Bishop. He doesn't want to be involved. Um, but yeah, her deal, Chen's deal, now they're throwing <laughs> they're throwing cans and bottles at her. Bottles and cans, clap your hands. They're throwing at her there. And it, it, it's pretty crazy. And she's like, yeah, I think that my uh, life is over. I think that this whole thing that I'm doing It's not going to work out now. Now, it's one of those, would it have been better served? We'll have to see. To allow her to just talk her hate speech to these little groups, whatever. Or what happens next is she goes to Marjorapur and ends up joining a certain group, the Hominus Verendi, who were once parts of the Hellfire Trading Club. And I was not aware of these cute little kids here. And at first, I'm telling you, I'm not going to lie. I actually thought, hey, is this the Hellfire Club from the X-Babies? Oh, my, but it's not. But And they're pretty cool uh, characters. That is, I think they were created by Jason Aaron. Um, but they are the Black Bishop Maximilian Frankenstein, the Black King Cade Kilgore, who I am aware of, uh, the White King Manuel Anduque, and the White Queen Wilhelmina Kensington, who really reminds me of Harley Quinn or even Alice from the DC universe, Kate Kane's sister. But it's it's Wilhelmina. I mean, Wilhelmina. But yeah, they're there and they are doing their own club. Like, hey, it's like, come to the Honeycomb Hideout and join our new club. This is going to be great. She does join up and you have Wilhelmina saying to Chen, hey, be my white bishop. We're going to have so much fun. And then, yeah, it ends. It, it, it's a good enough issue. It's one of those where you you keep tying in. And, and I will say one thing. You have tons of books coming out in this Dawn of X stuff. And, and a lot of the writers, you could get caught in that trap of trying to get everybody on speed with everything that's going on. I mean, even at that point with Bishop, they had the Taipei. If you've been reading 
you know this was set up before. You know that Bishop confronted Chen at one point saying, we don't think anything happened. She doesn't want to hear that. Get out of here. She le-. And so, but you end up not wasting too much time with, oh, well, see this issue and see that issue. And, oh, I got to remind, hey, remember when I first started? When you, you don't have that. And most of the time it plays out fine enough without it. You don't get bogged down by all that. But some of these books end up being caught in kind of a, a broken record type of thing, if anybody knows what that is anymore. You have Kate through this whole thing so much into, hey, Bishop, you got to be my bishop. You're a bishop already. It's great. Red bishop. Red. Hey, red's not my color. All right. Hey, you know what, Bishop? You should be my bishop. I need somebody to trust. We, we get it. And I don't need it so much. And he, it's almost like instead of recapping the grand scheme of things, which I do like, you end up thinking that the people reading aren't getting the here and now enough, you know, like letters from Cleo sang once. And you, you end up just pounding it into the point that it gets annoying. And so by the end, Kate Pride, one of my favorite characters in all of these books, I just want her to stop. It becomes the pestering is what she's doing. I do understand. She even has other people sending Bishop letters. Hey, she really needs somebody to trust. We get it. We get it. Okay. So, but at the end, that's a cool deal. I I can say that. All right, here we go with more side characters and more things. But yeah, the book has to evolve. It has to spend more time than just going and saving a kid in Brazil. But that's kind of what I like. And you're getting away. It's been issues before or since we've seen really a lot of stuff from, you know, Pyro or Iceman. Yeah, they have their one panel, two panels here, but I want to see more of that as well. I love the art, though. I think the art is really good. And again, the stuff with Bishop and Kate, I did like, and I did like individually that first scene, that cold open, but overall, still only at I'll give it an eight because I like the characters, I like the end, but it's it's starting. I need, I'm starting to feel like I need more from each of these books, and but I don't know what that more is yet. So I, I can't really base everything on me because I'm a dummy. But I need them to tell me what more it is that I want. But yeah, eight out of ten. It's definitely my favorite one of this episode because now we're gonna move off to Excalibur. Number four. Okay, and that's written by Teeny Howard, art by Marcus Toe, colors by Eric Arcianega, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. With her brother Brian, possessed by an evil sorceress, Betsy Braddock has become Captain Britain and must bear the weight of all that name entails. Rogue has been trapped in a mysterious floral stasis, and while Apocalypse has been playing nice gambit, sees evil lurking beneath the veneer of magic. At least Excalibur is back from Otherworld, and they know the rules of this world, right? Yeah, and I ended up getting very, very bored with this issue. Uh, it, it seems to just be running in place, treading water. This, in my mind, is the second least favorite of mine You know, for this whole X-Men run. I was actually interested in some of the things as I looked into it learn more about it but i think i'm past that point now i'm at this issue four where i need the story i need the story to start going i need to see something to get my interest not just oh i i read about the lighthouse oh my god look at that and i read about apocalypse and the whole akaba all right you know this those were the things that were getting me 
kind of excited at least seeing this stuff tie into stuff I've newly learned about. Number one, in a book that you don't do much of, you got a heck of a lot of characters to keep track of and characters, again, that I am not interested in one bit. I was interested in Betsy being Captain Britain in a way that, oh, my God, like this is where I jump in. I don't know much about Brian or brother who was Captain Britain, but I'm going to learn about Captain Britain. I'm going to have fun with Captain Britain here because it's Betsy Braddock. All right. Everybody's knit. All right. Let's see us learn things as she's doing it, whatever. And it's just back and forth. And the idea of the other world, even. All right. The other world's cool. You go down there, you get a little D&D action. But now it's just the ping ponging in and out. And oh, my God, you know, Morgan Le Fay, she hates us in the other world. But then we come back and the people hate us. The people of Britain. Oh, my God, we got to go see the queen. And this in my in my mind, I don't know why. But I get the idea that she's going to go visit the queen and we're going to find out all this crazy stuff like the queen has been involved in in some crazy mutant nonsense or the whole Captain Britain thing. And it's going to be spy stuff and we're going to do James Bond things. And nope, what we're going to do is just go from one meeting to the other to the idea that continuing. And this is the thing that I was saying about even Kate saying, hey, Bishop, you want to be the bishop? No. Hey, Bishop, you want to. This is just. The whole idea of Betsy, well, I don't really want to be Captain Britain. I'm just going to be Captain Britain until I get my brother Brian back. And then she goes to somebody, Brian should be Captain. Yeah, I said that. I I don't really. Yeah, but Brian should be. And a mutant shouldn't. And we just pound that in. And that whole concept to me is tying this. It's holding it back. You're not having any bit of fun because it's more involved of what the book isn't than trying to give you what it is. And yeah, Apocalypse there, kind of being a good guy, but you know he is, and he's doing this, and it's his own little angles and things like that. Even that is just, half of it is just mentioned in passing or, you know, off I I just don't get it. Then you end up having, you know, Megan Braddock there on Krakow where she finds out Jamie Braddock's alive. I'm like, really? This is not, this isn't what's going to get me. And really the whole Kodakaba deal with Mariana Stern, another thing that throughout all this, I've not been interested in one bit. I know it's a big thing of this. I know it's a big part. It also ends up tying an apocalypse, you know, but I don't care. I, I really don't. And so basically At the end of this issue, what I will tell you, I will tell you right now, I don't care about this book. I don't have any sort of interest in anything going on from here on out. Uh, Even if you're going to throw in the idea that you get fantastical mythological monsters show up in the regular world. By then, I was just shaking my head. And again, you want to pound some things in. Anybody here reading this not realize that Gambit really wants Rogue out of that coma. <laughs> I mean, really? This is all. Yeah, he should record this statement so that he can save, you know, not get his, his throat all scratchy from saying it so much. He's there talking with Rogue. I'm going to figure this out. It's the last thing I do. I like talking to you, even if you can't even talk back. You know, it's, it's better, huh? Oh, my. But he ends up going, all right, I'm going to go off. We're heading off to Britain. We're going to see what's up with Betsy, the whole deal with the Queen. And you have Gambit walking through a crowd of mutant haters leading to the palace where one ends up throwing a bottle at him that he energizes and sends off, scaring the crap out of people, which that's not the way to get them on your side. But, yeah, you, you end up 
at these scenes so damn extended. And, and, and then you just have the Richter there with Jubilee. They're waiting for Betsy so that they can just talk. And pretty much what you get here is, you know, a little lesson. I'm so glad that Teeny Howard decided to let everybody know exactly what Britain is. You, you know, Britain, if you didn't know, Northern Irish, they're Britain. But the Republic of Ireland, they're not. All right. And, and British people in England, they're part of Europe. But Europe doesn't. Uh, all right. Whatever. I mean, really, how about this? How about you show me Betsy learning how to be a little Captain Britain here? Or if you, if you want to jump back and forth with this nonsense, then just let Brian get back to it. Because this fumbling and stumbling and rambling and blambling, uh, I'm getting so Darn sick of. I'm getting sick of it. I am. So yeah, we're waiting to see what ends up the what the queen's gonna say, what she's gonna do, how this is gonna be worked out, and you really don't get anything. What you end up with is her. Oh, what the queen say? But oh, the queen. Well, get this. Uh, you know, Coven Akaba. They kind of showed up first and talked a lot of shade. And the queen's like, hey, you guys, you sort out your own laundry together and try to get together on the same page, okay? You go see a, a Coven Okaba. Uh, so, so we're not going to get the cool James Bond stuff or even have anything neat? Okay, we're going to go see Mariana Stern? Oh, great. Thank God. But, yeah, then you just have Apocalypse going and saying, I, I need, you know, I, I end up needing both Gambit and uh, Richter. Because I have something down below. I need them to steal something. I need somebody who can who can use their rock moving abilities to go down into the earth. And then I need a, a guy who can end up stealing stuff. That would be Gambit, obviously. They're going to go down. And basically what that leads to is them going down and re- finding a, you know, a group of druids that seem to have the same type of powers as Richter, saying that he's one of them. You're more than you think. Hey, and, and just the idea that they're going down to get these more of these crystals. We've seen this. We've seen where you did have Apocalypse using these to kind of work the, the magic and trying to get these gate, all this stuff with that. They're going down to get some others. Uh, and they grab some, which I didn't realize. But then when they find these druids, hey, uh, you guys are thieves. Yeah, uh, sorry. Oh, no, no. We saw you do that. We just want to tell you those aren't real. They're they're fakes. We want to give you the real ones. All right. (laughs) All right. That that was great. And yeah, so you end up having them give these crystals to them while you end up (laughs) having Betsy talking to Mariana Stern and doing her thing uh, with the Coven Akaba that really doesn't get far or interest me in one darn bit. She's there with Pete Wisdom. And has to remind him, by the way, Pete, you're a mutant too, in case you forgot. Because, you know, you end up having the Kabanakaba. They don't want a mutant Captain Britain. We, we've seen this. We see all this stuff. So they just agree to disagree. They each think that they're bad. They're going to warn each other. You better watch your step. No, you better watch your step. Yeah, well, you you probably didn't show up early enough to stop nonsense in the pet. Well, you're the one who started the nonsense, stuff like that. It just goes back and forth. Again, it's not interesting. This is a book with a lot of people talking about things that if you are full out Excalibur fan, maybe this is, you know, getting you going. 
This is floating your boat. It is not, but my boat has sank. It's sinking, at least. Um, I'm going to fiddle while it sinks down. I'm going to play with the band. And so what then ends up leading to the end, this is a trap. No, it's a distraction because of this. And they shove at Betsy a picture of a dragon. Uh, all right. Hey, yeah, that's pretty nice. Looks like almost like a woodworking where you get the ink and you press it on. That's nice. I, I Maybe they want her to actually rate this. I, I'll give it a six out of ten. It, it could use a little more pizzazz, I'd say. <laughs> a little more color work. No, no. What they're saying is look at this picture of a dragon because you know what? In the other world, you're such a nonsense Captain Britain that you didn't even know that you can't have dragons there. Of course, it was Shogo. Oh, my, Shogo, the cool dragon went around. That's caused trouble. That's opened up the thin membrane of the gate between both the other world and our world. Oh, no, what does that mean? Well, that means that you got the Hydra and the, the Griffin and whatever nonsense. They're now attacking Earth. And it's all because of Captain Britain's fault. I believe that what they are doing here is they ended up Seeing a little small print, they use the dragon. Well, now let's open the gate. Say it was that. So that we can then throw a lot of shade at Betsy, the mutant Captain Britain, and do all this. And then people will be up in arms. I could just, I, I get the idea of all this, but it, it doesn't seem, I, I guess it's weird for me to say it doesn't seem big. But yeah, I mean, if you end up having this, it just does, it just seems like more and more nonsense on top of each other when. If this is the problem, and if the problem goes all the way to Morgan Le Fay with this, then just say, okay, Brian, you're fine now. Go get your set, because she'll just hand it over. And then you could have a Kaba. Like, they're going the roundabout way to solve something that really doesn't seem like it needed to be solved in the first place, unless they're trying to get their own bit of, you know, an Akaba deal as Captain. But who knows? I, I, I'm t- I think that if somebody came to betsy right now and said hey betsy listen we'll give you back your brother plus ten thousand dollars and each year you get to go on a vacation of your choice but you don't have to be captain britain anymore but yeah she might go with it she might think that brian would be pissed but who cares she needs him back he's being possessed so you know desperate times she could do that but yeah you, you pretty much just end with all of these mythical monsters coming out of portals, attacking the world. But the big thing, though, if you are a fan of this book, or at least some of the characters in it, if you like Gambit and Rogue, Rogue does wake up. She ends up waking up, going with the whole deal with Apocalypse, saying this whole thing is, you know, for us. We've been working together this whole time, haven't we? And then <gasps> she wakes up. So we'll see how that goes. But really, I'm telling you, it's just a bunch of people sitting around yelling, talking, not yelling because you didn't see that scene, being told to go this place, that place, an explanation of what Britain is. I, I don't need it. And I will be quite honest right now. And I know that a lot of people, that Fallen Angels book is their least favorite. This is now my least favorite. And it only took me. And I ended up, Double Aaron was talking to me about liking this book going into, you know, this here and getting this far. And I think that it's one of those where I was digging a lot of the stuff, but I, there was no story. 
that I, but I was liking seeing new characters, learning about them, finding out that some things were tying in. Like I said, I'm looking up stuff. Oh, the lighthouse. Oh my God. That's about the lighthouse. I get it. I understand what's going on because I read this whole thing about it. All right, let's go. But without it, it's basically the joke, the whole Dr. Phil. This was a book in my mind at this point, a foundation of sand. I thought that, and now once I realized, boy, you're not doing crap, and now you're just yelling, I've had enough, three out of ten, ba-boom, done, I'm not done talking about it, we'll keep talking about it, and I did have people say that it got better as it went on, but I thought they said that it started with this or the last issue, this issue. Not great, not great. The pacing, all the stuff, just off, just off totally. But that's it. That's the end of this podcast. Three books. And, hey, I ended up talking a lot about the Fallen Angels deal, even though I didn't like it, and then kind of went through this whole Excalibur. But this Excalibur, just I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. So there you go. Thanks, everybody. And next episode, I will continue to try to do three an episode. We will be doing New Mutants number four, X-Force number four, and Fallen Angels number four. So get X-Force. That's my book there. And New Mutants, maybe I'll kind of get on board with that change of pace that we're going knowing how things go with me we'll be back in shire space who knows but we'll see when that pops up but thanks everybody for listening i hope you enjoyed this as we get closer and closer to the new books all coming out that means the x book so i want to get caught up so i may drop a bunch of these episodes already trying to do two a week maybe we'll up the ante to three or something so we can get this all done but thanks everybody for listening if you have any comments or whatever email me at weird science marvel comics at gmail.com and maybe i am missing something maybe excalibur is getting better i just i'm not seeing it because of my lack of knowledge of the individual things going on and somebody can let me know and that would change my whole scope of things so let me know what you think uh, or on Twitter, you follow us, we follow you, WS Marvel Comics. You can go to our website, weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com. And also, if you want to inspire us, you can go to the patreon.com slash weirdscience and get a ton of things in return. But thanks, everybody, and I'll talk to you later.